0: Welcome to the Recovery Lab podcast. We're glad you were able to join us. Recovery Lab hopes to destigmatize addiction and normalize recovery.
1: Our platform provides an avenue to share the many stories of those that have recovered from addiction, providing for the listener the most basic antidote to addiction. Hope. Hope.
0: Alright everybody, we're back. This is episode number 53, 53. Of, the, of the Recovery Lab podcast series. Nice. I'm Drew Hassan. I'm Daniel Anderson. We are the Recovery Lab. We're joined today by the the majority of the staff of Bridge to Recovery. Is that right?
2: Uh, close to about half maybe. Half? Yeah,
1: very nice.
0: Very Alright, nice. y'all want to introduce yourselves? I mean, I can do it, but BJKK...
3: It's not a boy band. I don't it's British Recovery. Oh, okay. I
0: didn't even. I didn't make
1: that connection.
4: <laughs>
3: I'm John Conway.
1: John. Hey, John.
3: Bernard
0: Mathurne. Bernard. Bernard. Honor the microphone.
4: Honor it. I'm Costas
5: Mathias. Hey, Costas. I'm Katie Lambright.
0: Well, look, y'all, I appreciate y'all taking the time to come do this.
1: Yeah, thank y'all so much.
0: Uh, thank you. We have talked, uh, you know, off and on about... Um, just how many of us are in here right now? But y'all are holding it down pretty good.
1: Yeah, we appreciate you accommodating us in this tight, tight, tight space. So yeah, really. This is really, really good. Yeah, I say the same thing though. Thank Daniel <laughs> the Oz back there, the unseen, the unseen narrator. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's let's hop right we'll into
0: get, it. Let's get down to it. All right, so we 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 kind of gave y'all a roadmap ahead of time. Costa, since you started this party, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got into the uh therapy business um what was the impetus and maybe get
1: a little closer to the microphone is that better probably yeah you'll get that the post of shame if you don't we'll post it up there get close to the mic all right all right we want to avoid that
4: um okay so i'm going to give you a snapshot i'm going to try and make this short so born and bred in chaos and addiction and went to college actually in ninth grade my art teacher asked us What do you want to do when you grow up? And I was like, I have no idea. I just know I want to do something with art and help people. And she said, oh, there's this great profession called art therapy. So the seed was planted. Fast forward, I went to Ole Miss, and I was a potter. And then I ended up going on to graduate school. You
0: mean you made things with ceramics, not smoking pot? Yeah,
4: yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I was. I worked. I've never
0: heard that. it called a potter, but I can get on
1: with that. I was a potter. Okay, I'm a potter. Yeah. Damn. I also I was am a, potter. a potter myself.
4: <laughs> well, um, so my dad was from Greece, and we called him Bobby, which Baba Bob means Greek, and I mean means Dad in Greek. And we were at Piccadilly my freshman year. And he said, so Costas, what have you learned in the college? And I said, oh, I can make the most beautiful bowls. And y'all, I thought he was going to die right there (laughs) eating beets. (laughs) So anyway, I thought I better learn a couple, something else. Um, But I continued to be a potter, went on to graduate school. um, And I worked in this incredible place that I started working there right when the towers were hit. And um, we had individuals coming from all over the world um, to work on trauma and what I realized is that we were treating addicted survivors of trauma and then people would come and stay three six nine months and so I'd set them up for aftercare something similar to bridge to recovery and they would call me and they'd raise hell why would you send me to this place it feels like they're babysitting me giving me a bunch of worksheets blah 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 And so I started doing my own due diligence, checking it out. And what I saw is they were telling me the truth and put together this little eight week program, pitched it to somebody, said, Hey, can I, can I give this a shot? I'll do it for free. And, um, did. And it was, it was pretty cool. What I thought was, you know, everybody deserves to heal. And the only way I know how to heal is to address underlying issues whatever's fueling the negative you know those self-destructive behaviors and without going to the core and looking at them what are we doing i are missing the boat so You're that,
1: just putting band-aids on a problem
4: absolutely absolutely you know it's not about just putting a cork in the bottle and stopping so then i moved home opened bridge and rest is history
0: how long has bridge been open
4: since 2006
1: 17 years,
4: 17, 17.
0: It's crazy.
1: Uh, That is crazy. That's crazy. So tell us a little bit about what it is for someone that's just listening that has no idea what Bridge to recover offers and what you're all about. Tell us a little bit exactly about say there's somebody that is struggling and reaches out for help. What is your elevator pitch? What do you offer? How do you help people, et cetera, et cetera.
4: Um, so Bridge to Recovery is... What do you
1: focus on also?
4: What do we focus on? Okay, so it's known for helping people get sober. Um, addiction. But when I met Bernard and he said, you know, I said, what do you want to focus on? He was like, trauma. And I said, well, that's really what we do here. Right. Um, I said, you know, we really don't treat addiction. <laughs> and I'll never forget the look on his face. He was like, What? Um, which we do. However, again, I go back to it's about treating the underlying issues. Right. So when somebody comes in, we do assessments and we're looking at um lots of process addictions, sex, alcohol, sex um gambling. gambling, shopping spending, debting, um, along with substances and lots of mental health looking at to see what's going on, family of origin issues. Um so we're known for doing addiction treatment. We specialize in sex addiction. Um, we work with eating disorders. We have a dietitian on staff. Um, medication management. We are abstinence-based, 12-step, huge fans. Clients are required to be active and involved, um, get sponsors. How am I doing? Am I hitting it? Great. Okay. Um, you know, I go back to... Addiction, well, when I think about addiction, I think about it really being a systemic issue. Right. And the most important thing is not just the client who's in there and stopping using whatever, but it's also addressing under, underlying issues and, and getting the families involved. And that is something that we've continued to do a better job of. Um, Katie's a family therapist and does a group just for family members, rather than their loved one is in treatment with us or somewhere else.
1: Um, Well, addiction is after all, a family disease. It absolutely affects everyone.
4: Yeah. So
1: beautiful, beautiful. I mean, look, here's the deal. What I want to do today is I want to talk, first of all, honor for all of you for giving your time today to come and talk to us. It means a tremendous amount to drew and I, and and we're very, very grateful for that. So given the fact that you are here, we're going to take full advantage of that. So, What I want to do is just to highlight uh, the individuals that are here today. I want to talk with each individual one-on-one or individually and talk a little bit about what it is about Bridge to Recovery that you admire, that you enjoy. Why do you work there? um, What is it that gives you the the, the most joy uh, surrounding being in that team environment there? uh, And just a little bit more about, you know, what, what it's like for you to be a part of, uh, Barista Recovery. And my hope in this is um, to create um, meaningful connections between our listeners and viewers and you who are here in the studio today. And the hope in that is opening up doors, perhaps in the future, to be able to have people say, hey, you know, my family member is struggling with, you know, trauma and addiction, and gosh, I really don't know where to reach. But I did hear this podcast a couple of months ago about somebody at like Bridge to Recovery and Ridgeland or something. I'm gonna reach out and see if they could perhaps help. So that's the goal of this today. So, Katie, we're gonna start with you and just tell us a little bit about you, what it was like um, before you uh, started working for Bridge, what it's like now, if you. Uh, you know, the, the things that you're proud of most and the things that um, are, are the most challenging yet rewarding, perhaps, for your particular position. And we'll just go around the room and, and, and talk a little bit to, to open up more doors uh, for folks that may be struggling in the future.
5: Can you hear me? Is it good?
1: Absolutely. I bet okay. it sounds great.
5: Okay. Um, so I originally started doing mental health in 2013. Um, so I worked as a social worker got my LCSW and did a lot of like mental health clinical work. And I realized with kind of my education and where I was at, like I want more, I want something else. Like something's not something deeper, something deeper, something. I want to help these people, but I can only do so much. Like what else is there? And so I always just kind of had this desire to um, do more family, marriage, couples work. And so in 2018, I went back to school and um, got my master's in marriage and family therapy. And that's kind of when the doorway opened for me. Sure. And I kind of really saw the change that I was looking for and knew that was possible, but didn't quite know how to create it or be a part of it. So that was kind of my experience with kind of getting into that field. So then I worked. That's whenever I really started working like in addiction um, and working with families. I started doing like family week and I saw people's lives just like being transformed and not only their lives, but their spouses and their kids and their life just felt more free and breathable and They were actually living the life that they wanted to live. Um, And so that was really cool. That's kind of what hooked me. Um, So I met Costas in, when was that, 2022? No, 2021. 2021. And she approached me, and she was like, I know you, but you don't know me. And I was like,
0: In the least creepy way.
5: Yeah. And I was like, What? (laughs) And
4: so, um, anyways. I think I said, I promise I'm not a creeper. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So the fact that you say that first, it
5: it helped to just really smooth it all over. And I was like, I like her. Um, And so, anyways, so, anyways, she really, me and her got together and she really talked about bridge. And I was like, This sounds like, such a place that I would love to be at.
1: So I'm not going to let you off the hook that easily. Okay. Tell me exactly what she told you. (laughs) What was her pitch?
5: It it was exactly that. It was like, and it was um, Laura Merrill, the other therapist at, um, at bridge too, who's not here. Kind of same pitch. It sounds like, like not trying to be creepy, but I know you, you don't know me. What do you think about Jackson? What do you think about bridge? (laughs) Come back.
4: Okay. okay, so I will say, to my credit, I had worked with some of the clients that had worked with her. Um, at the time, she was in Hattiesburg.
1: Now we're getting the full story here. And had here. worked
4: at Pine Grove, had been at the Gratitude Program, as well as the Women's Center. And so she didn't know that I had worked with some of her clients that she had worked with. So I knew the work that she had done. Right. Because, you know, I got the benefit.
5: Full circle.
4: Full circle. So I'm I'm a little less creepy,
5: but not, but not really. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't creepy. I was like, okay, I like the directness, you know. Um, I, I would love a new opportunity and kind of hearing about something that – because I knew a lot of the clients that we referred to Bridge, but I never got to follow up on. So that's kind of what was really appealing about Bridge. I was like, you know, I work with people who – freshly come in, you know, and then we refer them to aftercare and continue in work. And I never get to actually see them like in recovery and like living their life. Right. Um,
1: and it sounds like not to butt in, but it sounds like I believe wholeheartedly that everything happens for a reason. And it sounds like you were at the perfect point in your life to be able to receive what she was saying to you. And it was just like, kind of everything just kind of worked out a little bit.
5: It did. It did. And so then like, I loved what, what, what I loved about bridge is like, Oh my gosh, like you get to see people like living their lives, like right. integrating back into their work and their home. And like, I don't get to see that after 60, 30, 90 days. Like that's kind of it. Right. I'll get letters and say, thank you for helping me. But other than that, I don't actually get to like see it happen. Right. So, um, that's what, you know, Costa's kind of pitched the idea and I talked to my husband and I was like, okay, I like really want to take this opportunity. Like I really want to try it. And so I did and then like fell in love with it. And it was a place that I've never worked before. Like what really, what, what makes me love bridge is really all of us and the connection and the, um, the work that we get to do together, working together, it makes it cause the work is hard with the clients and therapy and group. And families and all of that, but this makes it so worth it.
1: Yeah, you're a family.
5: Yeah, we are.
1: It's a family it's system.
5: Like, it's like a healthy family system. Uh, I think we we, are. Are.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we need to on this podcast. We need to say that <laughs> it's like
5: it's like a really healthy family system. That I'm like, oh my gosh, this is this is amazing. Right? Because we're, I mean, I'm so like kind of like like I'm used to chaos. I'm used to chaos as well, and so this is. Kind of a breath of fresh air where I'm like, I love that this exists and that I get to be a part of it.
1: Right.
3: Well, it's so great to be able to practice what we preach. It's so great to be able to feel that, do that, live that, and then be able to share that with clients. Right. Right. They feel that I think that we yeah. are close mm-hmm. like that. We do feel that way about each other and we are a pretty cohesive yeah. team.
1: Right. Having chaos in the workplace is not conducive to having a, a successful Anything. business. Yeah.
5: And, you know, underlying that I think that' That's why a lot of our clients can get well is because we can model to them like what feel, what is, what health is, you know, and, and taking care of ourselves and connecting and working through things together and not always being on the same page, but how do we still respect each other and work together? Like we get to model that to them and they get to be a part of that. Right. So I think honestly, like it's our work and our connections and our relationship that actually help people the most like I'm not a genius like I'm not coming up with like the most creative clinical interventions on the planet here but I do think that like what they get to see within us sparks them and say like oh I want that I like that
1: and I I would I would encourage you not to sell yourself short because it sounds like you have a heart of gold and a heart that has a strong desire to be of service and help other people. So it really doesn't matter if you're the most creative or, or or not the most creative person in the world. If you have that heart, that's gold, and that's everything you need.
5: Sure. Yeah. And well said. Well said. I think that's kind of what, every, what everyone gets to see with us is who we are individually and what we bring and what we love, and, and it's showing up with everyone getting to see it.
1: Right. Beautiful. Beautiful. I mean... This is great content. I love this so good. much.
5: I do too. Now that I'm not nervous, I've, I've I feel really you, good. It really is yeah, pretty no. easy. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. No, this yeah. is just kind of
0: in the swing of things, yeah. and you lose sight of the fact that there's a camera over there. Yeah. No, we don't.
5: I've kind no. of like blocked that out of my brain until just that yeah. second. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. It. You're welcome. Yeah. are welcome. This is just a bunch well, of friends what do you having find a conversation. To be, to be challenging, though. Like, what? I want people to really get kind of a behind-the-scenes feel for what it's like to talk to actual therapists who are doing actual work with actual people in early, early recovery. Like, What's challenging? What do you wish people were better at? What do you wish that they would buy into sooner or quicker? Does something frustrate you? Does something...
5: Yeah, yeah. So I think the hardest part is seeing someone's potential to change and knowing what kind of that other side looks like and them struggling to accept help and go through kind of the muddy waters of change and like myself included in that you know like I mean it's hard to change and so I think that whenever people walk through our doors and we and and we know like hey there's there's so many things out here that'll actually make you feel better and that will actually help you And them taking that leap, I, I, that that's the hardest part for me where I'm like, take it, take it, take it. Like, come on, take it. You don't know, but I want you to trust it. And they're like, "Mm."
0: well, you know, y'all have all, you've both mentioned chaos and it really does blow my mind. When I look back at my own behavior, how many times I opted for the familiar chaos over the unfamiliar stability and calm Right. and now that i'm on this side of it i think well why what is that pull to something that is familiar but destructive right and right. It, exactly. it it's so aberrant and it's so counterintuitive and counterproductive it's a, a puzzlement to me how i ever live that way and but the truth is we're
1: all like that right but here's the deal here's the deal you experiencing that uh not going that route over and over and over again could, if allowed, create a tremendous amount of shame and guilt about your past. And we don't do that anymore. We embrace... We try not to. We don't do that anymore. We try. We we embrace everything that happened in our past because everything that happened in our past formed and formulated it and, and molded us into the people we are today. And without every single one of those experiences, good, bad, indifferent, we wouldn't be who we are today. And today we're proud of who we are today and how we can help I other people. So, while- I completely agree. But
0: I could have... I could have learned my lesson the eighth time I suffered that particular consequence yeah. and not have to wait till I got to the 15th time.
1: Well, I you mean, did good. I waited I until the 30 second time. Out. Yeah. Seven or 10 consequences ago. Right. Well, but everything happens for a reason. It's important we don't have shame and guilt about our pasts.
2: Yeah. And I think also getting back to the trauma piece, you know, for our clients that come in, this is how they survived. Right. Oftentimes starting at a very early age. And so when we're inviting someone to give up those self-destructive copings, you know, um, coping behaviors, we're asking them to, to give up in, a lot, to go in a place that they've never been. Right. And that is scary.
3: It is. A, it is a very part of their scary. identity, and I guess. And to put down the one thing that always has protected them. Right. At least at some point it did protect them. It was very it effective. unhelpful later in their Absolutely. lives. but golly gee, it's the shield that they use. And of right. course they're going to go to that.
2: Uh, right. Very much so. We all.
3: Yeah.
0: Well, look, since we've deep dived on, on that, let me hit y'all with this one. What has been a surprising, what has been of a benefit to you? What have you felt proud about? What have you enjoyed? What has been a net positive that surprised you?
2: With regard to
0: working anything, with the, or with the the generally? the field of work that y'all are all engaged in, what has been what has been good that you didn't see coming?
2: Well, I tell you, to a degree, it forced me to have to go deeper into my homework because the thing about providing therapy to individuals is, is anything that's unresolved in me will surface, will be triggered by interacting with with other people and it's kind of forces our hand if you will to if you're going to continue to survive in this industry and in this profession it's it's time to work on yourself so I would say that that was my biggest benefit
3: to play off a little bit of what Bernard said I think that's important and true but also the one of the things that's surprising is that it's it's okay to be imperfect. You know, there can sometimes feel, I can feel the pressure sometimes to make sure I'm doing the right thing, saying the right thing, supporting this client in the best way possible. And so sometimes I can be a little insecure about that or a little self-critical. And I have to realize that my humanness and where I am and owning that can help someone else and they're human. Well, that's as much a part of modeling good behavior
0: as anything is learning
3: how to problem solve and get
0: through difficulties. You know, I lived, so I was, I got sober pretty young and I stayed sober for a few years and I really did myself the disservice by believing that as long as I wasn't using, that I wouldn't have any problems in life. And then when I got, when I had some real life problems, I was wholly unable to deal with them and I started using again. And so I think that being able to model for y'all's clients how you work through difficulties, I mean that kind of transparency certainly is people notice it. Yeah,
1: yeah I, re- I
3: think we show vulnerability, and I think that's another thing that Katie was talking about about our cohesion. Vulnerability—that's what we I, show yeah. vulnerability and show what it is to be human, good, and you know all of the different things, and that can be reassuring to people I think
1: yeah vulnerability is something that I was never ever comfortable with until Brene Brown comes along and talks about
5: the queen of vulnerability
1: exactly exactly <laughs> and and uh, and I, I started to kind of work on that with my uh, with my therapist and uh, kind of find out vulnerability is very very healthy um, especially when, um, you know, people are running an organization together, uh, it's important to not have that wall up to be able to connect on a deeper level, thus being able to help your clients in a much more efficient and effective way. Um, so, um let's jump back into bernard same questions and and um topics that we talked with katie about uh, earlier in the episode tell us a little bit about um what what draw what drew you to bridge recovery and how that relationship began and uh, what it's like now and things that you enjoy and appreciate a great deal about being able to work there and help other people uh, in your particular field sure sure well i've referred
2: clients to a bridge to recovery for many, many years. What's your background? Oh, my background. Um, well, you know, what, what inspired me to, to become a therapist or to get into the field was through my own recovery. Sure. Um, I sobered up in the early eighties and in 1990, I was talking with my sponsor and I was saying, you know, I really have to decide what I'm going to do with my life professionally. And I have no clue. And he said, you know, it's a process. However, I know someone that runs a treatment center, and they're looking for a substance use, a substance abuse tech. Are you interested? And that's how, you know, I was introduced to the profession. Sure. Um, being around other professionals, watching that transformation, quickly realizing it's a lot more than just 12-step work. Right. And I think, you know, folks that are continuing or that may have a desire to want to be a therapist um, needs to understand that. Um, and so, um, fast forward 33 years or 31 years at the time, um, I was fortunate to be able to come on board at bridge. Um, we discussed it two or three times over the, you know, 15 years prior maybe, uh, but Things didn't align.
1: Was your pitch similar to Katie's? Did she, <laughs> did she quietly creep up behind you and say, Hey, I uh, know who you hey, are? <laughs> Actually, I was speaking, I think I was speaking to you about a client
2: one day over the phone when I was working at the estate. And uh, so we chatted a little bit, and she said, By the way, do you know of anyone who um, might be interested in coming to work for Bridge as a therapist? And I said, you know, I don't, but I'm going to keep that in mind for myself. Right.
1: <laughs> and uh, Did you say that at the time or did you keep that to yourself? I, I
4: think, uh, did
2: I?
1: I, I can't remember.
4: I don't remember you saying, keep it in mind for myself, okay. but of course I would have been like, please. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what
2: I was thinking. Okay. Okay. Um, and, um, uh, it was at a point in my life where I was approaching a transition. Sure. Um, and so it fell in beautifully. I called Costas one day and said, Hey,
1: you're still looking for a therapist. And we got together and chatted and well, the estate in- included a tremendous amount of travel, didn't it? It did. and a lot of time away from home.
2: Yeah, I, it did. It did. So, um, however, I would not have changed jobs if it weren't a place that I was, Really,
1: 100 percent.
2: Yeah, 100 percent sure about. And uh, you know, I, I've seen the work that that you guys have done uh, prior to my tenure. I've referred two of my family members there for therapy. Um, so I was
1: just excited to get that opportunity to work with justice. Sure. And again, that and a wonderful example of how the universe, kind of everything, works out. Uh, whether you believe in God or not, you know something is at play. Uh, and it appears as though that everything kind of lined up for, for you. And it seems like to me, Costas is just like out there, just doing good stuff, like creeping around, like, Hey, I can help you. You can help me. Let's do some incredible work together. She's this, this ever present being that's circling around people that are struggling and kind of making things happen. Um, so, so what's it like now? What is it like working with Costas? What do you love? What is, what are, um, what do you look forward to in, in the morning? What, what's, what brings you joy today? Well, I think Katie um,
2: touched on it. It's the synergy of the team. Mm-hmm. You know, it's coming to work knowing that I can be myself, truly be myself. As John mentioned, I can be human. I can make mistakes. And, you know, the thing that, that cost us the, the, the atmosphere um, and the culture that you've developed is it, it allows that to happen. You know, she allows you to be you. And she does a great job role modeling that, you know, because she is herself. And I really do believe that authenticity amongst the staff, as we mentioned, key. is transformative to the clients because they feel it. Right. Just like they feel it when the staff is at each other's throats, you know, when they go to treatment. So I, I think that synergy is is pretty transformative.
1: Yeah, and it it's... You know, whether or not the patient um, knows or, or witnesses actual uh, confrontations or negativity that's within the business, I have personal experience with a, a treatment facility um, that um, had a lot of uh, internal things going on, and um, perhaps the patients didn't um firsthand witness what was going on but as a result of there being chaos and confusion within the organization that has that that finds its way out that finds its way out and that diminishes your ability to help other people so it's important to have that safe place for everyone that's involved in the corporation or not corporation but the the organization um, to be able to have a, a, a a solid front to be able to Everyone's on the same page. Everyone is comfortable. Everyone is, is – um, they have the understanding that um, we are all imperfect and we're all imperfect together as a team. Um, and when we can all be imperfect together and be vulnerable and be open and express our concerns and not have, you know, well, you shouldn't be blah, 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 constant nonsense going on. That, that creates a beautiful environment to be able to help other people. And that ultimately is the goal with having a, 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 a treatment facility, I would imagine, is to be able to help other people. So sounds like to me you're doing an incredible job, Costas. What else? Is there anything else that you really, really love that, that kind of sticks out to you about being able to uh, come to work at, at Bridge every day?
2: Um, I, I, you know.
1: Or anything else you'd like to say? Much of my career.
2: I've worked in residential treatment. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a brief period when I worked at Copac that um, I was able to to work with folks in outpatient. And I'd say that that's what I get excited about because mm-hmm. people that are coming to us for services, they have the opportunity to immediately implement some of the things that, that are discovered um, in group and individual therapy. And they can go practice that mm-hmm. and come back and talk about, yeah, this worked, this didn't work. And I just really love that. Uh, because, you know, we we may have mentioned this earlier, but, you know, name me another illness or another condition or set of conditions that we deal with that affect every aspect of our society. Mm -hmm. And so we help one get sober. We help many improve their their life, uh, whether they're addicted or not. And so... You know, when I, when I remain cognizant of that, that just really fuels my passion.
1: Um, and, uh, yeah, sounds like an awesome, awesome life you have to be able to go and, and go to a safe place, most importantly, and then be able to help other people with your past knowledge, your, your past knowledge and experience in your own life and struggles and being able to get on the other side of those and now help other people walk through those. It's a beautiful thing. Yes, it sure is. Absolutely. John? Same question for you and Katie yeah thanks
3: um mine like Bernard, I mainly uh got into this field via my own recovery mm-hmm. uh in nineteen ninety eight I got sober from alcohol and drugs and uh, after an amount of time with some sobriety under my belt, I realized sort of i think like Bernard mentioned that I just wanted to be of help and i and I found that that I might be able to do something like that. I got my degree in counseling in 2006 and then spent the next 16 years doing work outside of the field, doing a whole different thing. Uh, And then, uh, interestingly, again, this may speak to our family connections and all, but interestingly, when in 2000, when did COVID hit? Was it 19, spring of 19, when the first cases started happening? Uh, Anyway, whenever I was just really, ready to make a move and thought if I'm going to ever do this, I'm going to do it now. And uh, y'all may not know this, but the first person I called was Bernard. And I called him down in Loosdale, I guess, and said, man, you know, it's been a while since we talked, but any ideas and anything. And I'm telling you, if he had said, yeah, I've got a fence builder (coughs) position out, out at the estate. I'd have said, well, well I'm going to grab my fence building things and be right down there. I'm the best fence builder you could have <laughs> ever seen. I mean, golly. Bernard, if I could just tell you how well I make a fence. I
1: could really, you know. Can uh, I have a second of your anyway, time? Anyway, I, I was just
3: really ready to make a move, and I had felt it. Uh, you know, I'd prayed about it, talked to my sponsor about it, talked to people that I cared about, and it was just time for me to leave a career I'd been in for a number of years and do this. Uh Anyway, we began talking about some different things. And then as – so I went back to school and I got my EDS, uh, which provided more uh, academic hours that the licensing board required. Got that uh, so that I got my – was kosher with the board, but then I needed supervised hours. And so I approached Costas. Uh, Unlike y'all, she didn't recruit me. She just uh, (laughs) – You recruited her. (laughs) Yes, I recruited Bridge. And and again, would have been – built fences for if she had said okay that's what i want you to do but i just basically called and asked her and then met with her and started doing some hours there and uh we started the exact same day didn't we wasn't our first what was your first day it was september it was right after labor day wasn't it 21
4: it was 20 no hold on yeah it was 20 um 21 right after labor day yeah because you'd gone on a trip maybe disney no, I was planning on, oh, I was you planning
2: had COVID. on going on a trip and end up with COVID. That's no. right. <laughs> womp, womp, okay. womp. Nah, right. Yeah.
3: <laughs> anyway, we started at the same time on the first, uh, the same first day. And, uh, so, you know, it's been, I really have had this, what it was like, you know, and what happened and what it's like now. I'm so glad to be there in whatever capacity I can be today. And the, the things they all said, I think are so true. It's you know, you asked about the surpri- what's something surprising. It's that you never know when or who is going to get it. You know, you do the same work. We do the same work regardless, and we present the things to people, and you, you lead a horse to water. You can't make him stop drinking, right? Right. Oh, that's going to be on him. But you do this work, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, or seemingly out of the blue, Somebody gets it. You mentioned vulnerability. They all of a sudden are willing to put their guard down and be vulnerable, or they all of a sudden hear some message, or they synthesize a couple of things that they've been doing and they get it. And you see the light come on, and you see that thing Katie was talking about, about how you wish you could just give it to everybody. And that's how some of us in recovery feel. We get so excited about it, you know, you just want to, you know, sort of preach it, you know, holler from the mountaintops, right? Uh, But you watch a client click and then they turn the corner and that's one what we expect and what our goal is but it also is surprising and wonderful right when it happens and and we don't always know when that's going to be the challenges I think sometimes are not getting too down or too distraught or too discouraged by the hiccups by the client who doesn't quite turn the corner you know despite having all the tools and those things in front of them um and looking to the successes how how do y'all keep the
0: inherent narcissism that everybody has in check like if you have you know we hadn't had a whole lot of people really get it lately and how do you guard against feeling discouraged and you know Nietzsche says don't don't wrestle with monsters lest you become a monster or something like that. I mean, how do you not take it home? How do you, how do you guard against getting too defeated by what must feel like in some ways an unwinnable war? I mean, we're never going to run out of new
3: customers. What boundaries have to be in place? Yeah. Well, uh, boundaries are important. Um, some sort of self-regard is important where you, we have to practice what we preach, right? And, and what we realize is that, or what we have to realize, I think, is that we just keep doing the work and the, the efforts come and sometimes they don't. And that's the same thing we teach to our clients. It may not feel right right now. Just keep doing the work. Uh, in the program of recovery, we talk about spiritual tools and the spiritual action, so there's a higher power we believe at work there I do certainly do, but then I've also got to pick up a shovel. you know I've got right. to do some work and so the combination of those two things, as we preach it, we've also got to live it. Uh, one of the great reasons I believe that we're so close as a family or as a work family is we do we meet regularly and we talk about us. how are the ways we are dealing with the tough client load? How are the ways we're dealing with a setback that a client's had or a success that a client's had and, and what things, you know, and so we hold each other up. We challenge each other. We talk about things that we need to try to do better today or tomorrow. And, you know, so we, we live it, I think is what I'm saying. is what I guess I'm trying to describe.
1: Yeah.
4: So let me add, um, it's not about me. And you know, it it ultimately is about them, and I'm just walking next to them. I mean, I'm part of their journey. I'm I'm, I'm grateful to be invited into it. Um, so, you know, when I start taking it on myself, as far as, um, you know. I failed somehow I failed this family cause I, I'm, I can be black and white and I go to fail.
0: You've got to feel that way. Like, okay. you know, I know you're saying it's about them and I'm glad to walk with them, but surely well, you must feel like, God, I wish. What if I had said it this way? What if I had said, well, what if I'd been a little kinder? or what if I'd been a little meaner? or what if I'd have been a little?
4: Sure. I mean, I mean, I say, sure. Um, we've had a lot of losses since fentanyl is just everywhere. And, it's horrific. I mean, it is horrific. I've been to way too many funerals. We have been. And, you know, of course I go back and when we talk about this. Like, what could we have done different? You know, um, I think that's human nature, at least for me it is. Of course. But when we can sit down and look and say, hey, guys, you know, looking back over, these are the things we did. These are the... These were the things we put out there for the family, everybody, um, knowing that I did the best I could. And sometimes I don't have all the information, you know, making the best decisions that I can at the time with the information that I have. Um, You know, we know that secrecy is like a breeding ground for this disease. And, um, you know, people keep their stashes. So there is that part. I also say that what keeps you said boundaries, I'm going to say ongoing therapy. I mean, we all do our work and it's something that I say, like bringing on a, maybe bringing on a new intern and you know, that's part of it. It's like, you got to do your work to come into our family to, you know, keep it clean because shit's going to come up for you. You know, our issues are going to continue to present themselves. Um, there are definite times I walk in the door at my house and I'm just like, I need, I need quiet. I need five. I need 10 minutes. It's just been a lot today. Um, you know, you mentioned talk, our meeting together and talking about clients and I'm going to take that further. We also, I don't know who named us the wolf back. Somebody did, <laughs> but you know, we get to work. I think it was Laura Merrill. Was it? We get to work early, like on Tuesdays and, we sit around and we talk about us, you know, before we ever do treatment team. Um, we sit around and talk about our lives and what's going on with us. And it feels like somebody ultimately always is crying, you know, Talk, I mean, because, you know, I want to know about them and I want to share about me because that connection and that transparency, um, if I'm not being transparent, how can I ask them to? You know, I can't take my clients somewhere I haven't gone or I'm not willing to go. And, you know, life continues to happen. Things continue to come up. But it is hard. You know, it's hard and it's important walking in, you know, crossing the threshold of what's mine and what's not. Otherwise, I couldn't do it.
0: Do you think you're better at weighing those uh, responsibilities after 15, 17 years?
4: Um, I hope so. <laughs> I will say, um, you know, every once in a while, there'll be a client that walks in and I may say, hey, I, this is too familiar. It's too close. I need somebody else to work with this person.
0: You mean like this is somebody I know? This is a...
4: No, not, not in that capacity, but it's too close to my own story. You know, and when I can recognize that and I can be honest about it, um, that helps with the boundary.
0: Because you're afraid you may become too emotionally attached to them. Like you see too much of yourself in them.
4: Mm, That could be, but that it could trigger my own stuff and not being able to be as objective as I need to be. I mean, of course we become subjective. I mean, it's human nature. Um, But just recognizing, and it could be, you know, the time of the year or something that in the past has gone on with me, and it's just like, "Mm, I need to just pass this person on to somebody else.
3: Well, and a couple of y'all have mentioned the term, you can only go as far, take your client as far as you've gone with certain things. And so there are, each of us has particulars in our life that maybe we're not finished with. I want to add, I want to, I guess... Uh, a firm cost us and that though she has, she is better after 17 years about that. One of the greatest things that I certainly get when we're in those times together, where we're talking about our work and stuff to see you say, to see you exhibit humanness and not be perf- perf- perfect is really gives me license to not be perfect. And, uh, and that's been hugely helpful for us. I think for everybody, we, we are all, Again, I just can't overstate how close we all are with each other. We trust each other. We're willing to we're willing to share those things and at once hear it's going to be okay. You're not doing it as poorly as you thought. Or sometimes it's really helped me to do this, uh, you know, and get some constructive criticism and hear it without the judgment and hear it without turning it into shame or different other things that you know. Uh, and I get to see that in my colleagues and so i'm willing to do it
4: the experience strength and hope
3: yeah right
4: and i think it was katie um you you may remember but so we have this wolf pack where we you know and it was just the clinicians and it has to be you i think that brought up why don't we bring the front office into our wolf pack and i thought oh how cool what was it katie
2: I, i believe so
4: just Mar- take credit for yeah. it. <laughs> yeah.
2: That's right. It was you. You're me. absolutely or, right. I am it wise was beyond me. my years. Or
4: Laura Merrill. I, I don't know. Or maybe it was you.
2: I can't remember.
4: Really. But it's, you know, also bringing them in. I mean, they are our frontline folks. You know, I think they have the hardest job of any of us. I mean, you know, they don't have the training and the skill set that hopefully we have. Um, but bringing them in to see us as human and to see. Hey, I struggle with this client, not in a, Hey, let me give clinical information because that's stuff they don't need to know, but just the being human right? and really bringing them in and them doing their own work. I mean, when you've got a whole family system that's in therapy doing their work, I've never worked with a team like this in my life. And I've been around this doing this since 1999. (laughs) I mean, that's a long time.
1: Right. Yeah it's a, it's beautiful. I mean the one thing that just keeps sticking out in my head is about what you said is um the fact that uh, what Tuesdays Tuesday uh mornings is when the the wolf pack? Yeah, the wolf okay. The the fact that um you've created a uh, an environment that is judgment free from what it sounds like and that people can feel comfortable enough to shed a tear if necessary. That's not very common for a lot of a lot of businesses organizations it's often you know money is the bottom line and if you can't perform then you need to you you need to get out and we don't have time for your nonsense but it sounds like you've created an environment that is um, welcoming and loving and caring and compassionate um, to where everyone can kind of get together on the same page and do this as a team, you know, and, and nobody's having to do this alone. You've got support um, when, when necessary. I'm reminded when I came on to
2: bridge, something that Costas told me, he, she said, Bernard, I don't care if we have three clients in IOP. If we need to refer someone to a different level of care so that they can get what they need, that's what we do. 100%. And so, you know, it's, it's a, just a testament to doing it the right way.
1: Right. And, you know, money comes, money goes that the, the main, uh, you, you can't focus on that. What, what it sounds like, what you just said right there is that money is not the main concern. The main concern is helping people and helping save lives. Um, and, and an organization based on that premise is going to be successful. I don't care. Who you are. If you have a compassionate heart, a loving heart, and a desire to help other people, there's there's not a lot that can that can go on to to have that fail. So
2: well, and it parallels you know the twelve step program. Right. You know, if you do the next right thing, somehow the details fall where they fall. Right. And I think that that's true too to your question that you had for us earlier in that, you know, how do we deal with the fact that folks aren't making enough progress quick enough? You know, it's really not on my timeline. It really isn't. And, you know, I want it to happen fast because that's convenient for me. But maybe it takes every bit of that struggle with that client to truly dig deep and establish a good foundation. And that could possibly be after they're done with us. Right. You know, and so just kind of trusting the process that, that, as Costas mentioned, we're only a part of a brief part of their journey. Right. We're not there for the whole journey
1: but the impact that can be made if you're common and on the same front as a team is immeasurable. Yep. In the long run. So.
4: Okay, so you know how I said I was a potter?
1: Right. right. We remember we you said you were a potter. So let me give you another
4: funny. So we were talking about impacting people's lives and I said, "You know, it's kind of like a wish weed. And they looked at me. <laughs> And they thought, once again, here I am talking about marijuana. I was like, you know, a wishweed, a dandelion. You blow on it, and you never know who it impacts. You know, and I, when I think about the work that I get to do, it's it's a wishweed. I never know where the...
0: Look, that really was Wonderful. the, the underlying philosophical uh, impetus for Recovery Lab. You never... You never know what somebody needs to hear, even for the thirtieth or thirty-fifth time that's gonna tip the scale, you know, that's that's gonna make the difference. You just never know.
2: Wish we
1: yeah. And that's what makes what we do very easy in my eyes, because we're we're not in the results business. We're not in the Making things happen. We're in the planting seeds business and Just providing information. Right. And that seed can, it can wind up in a desert and never produce any fruit, or it could years down the line, something could. It could, a bird could eat it and take it to another planet or another, another country. And, and it starts to grow and in ways that we could never imagine. So it's important for Jew and I to focus on the fact that we are just planting seeds. We're providing information hopefully that's profitable to other people from using our experiences throughout our lives and, and, you know, hopefully making those experiences profitable for other people. That's the ultimate goal. Um, And it sounds like, I I love that, the, the, the weed analogy. I mean, it's so beautiful. That's, that's, or the, the, the seeds and the weeds It's it's, you you never know
0: the butterfly uh, effect,
1: right? You never know how you're helping someone. And ultimately if you can all, again, I go back to that, that, that front of a team, you know, moving forward. If, You are going to be effective if that team is on the same page, that team is safe and happy uh, and content. Then from that point on, seeds have much, much more of an opportunity to grow and to really grab in and and to create something. And that, like you said, Bernard, that may not happen while they're with you guys at Bridge. But something, as long as you guys are doing what you have to do in order to be safe, sane, and happy – that is going to be transmitted to other people. And ultimately that's going to save lives. So I would encourage you not to get discouraged if, if difficult things happen with patients or whatnot and and to sit, sit down fully in the fact that you're doing incredible work and you're helping people on a level that maybe you probably understand, but you may not fully understand how deep your, your compassion and love can go for someone else. Very much so. I have a question.
3: Again, I just, want to express my gratitude for it. I think we're really lucky to have that opportunity, you know, I don't take it lightly.
0: How has the dawn of fentanyl and the proliferation of pill presses, uh, impacted how y'all conduct your, your business? Because truly it really is Russian roulette. And I'm fortunate that I didn't, managed to kill myself uh, with the drugs that I did, especially, you know, stuff off the dark
2: net. Uh, That's a tough question to answer. Obviously when we see in the client's history of past use of fentanyl or they, well, it's in uh, everything, current use of fentanyl, um, or, you know, pills on the street, uh, The one thing is, is is everyone on the team is, is very aware of those clients (laughs) and, uh, you know, we drug test regularly. Our drug testing is pretty advanced so we can detect things that, that can provide us a a warning sign or a warning flag. Um, we have a policy at, uh, Costas and and Dr. Trujoulis, our medical director, um, uh, Steered our policy to uh, if someone is on fentanyl, uh, they've got to get on uh, Naltrexone or Vivitrol.
0: Okay, Or um, dovetails into my next few questions. Yeah. How do y'all feel about Suboxone? How do you feel about you know the whole uh, MAT?
2: Well, the MAT that that we're involved in is the is the Vivitrol and and Naltrexone. That's the shot. Uh, the shot is, yeah, it's the injectable Well You get it once a month? Once a month, that's correct. And so,
0: because people like my mom and my aunt who listen to this, so this is kind of, you get the shot once a month or so, and you won't feel the euphoric effects of opiates if you were to relapse.
2: And it also helps with cravings as well. Um, you know, everyone gets a trial run on, on the naltrexone just to make sure that their body can manage and and not have any adverse reactions to it. Um, And then those that, you know, uh, tolerate it, uh, then the next step would be to get on the injectable version of it, Um, obviously for compliance reasons.
0: Have you all seen good results
2: with that? Very much so. You
0: think it's a net good for the recovery world? Oh, very much so.
5: I think to the point, like, in a nutshell, we we know what helps them, right? And also kind of like being these, like, loving clinicians saying, like, here are the boundaries in order to kind of stay with us. We know what's going to keep you safe. And I think one thing that we do all do well is, like, not budging on it because of all the funerals being attended and of all the losses and the impacts of that of saying, like, if you want to work with us, here's kind of what we what, what we require based off of this drug to keep you safe and to continue allowing you the, cho- the opportunity to get well.
4: I just want to add, um, you know, when you, when, at the beginning, you asked me about bridged recovery, and I don't even think I mentioned intensive outpatient. I might have, but our level of care um, is for individuals who can maintain day-to-day responsibilities, hopefully. Um, if they're not, then they either need a higher level, et cetera, et cetera. So we don't see clients except for maybe 10 to 12 hours a week. And that's a very small amount of time. Right. And so when we've got somebody, I mean, a lot of our clients have been to residential, they're stepping down to us. But then there's your clients who may never have had treatment before. They don't, you know, they don't meet criteria to go to residential or detox. And so, you know, this is like 101 for them. They have never tried to quit using. Um, so it's, it's really helping them have the best opportunity to deal with the triggers that they may be unrecognizable. Um, they may be able to recognize, okay, stress, certain people, places, and things. But I also think it's so important for the unrecognizable triggers And so in a moment of, oh, my gosh, you know, this feels terrible. I want to change the way I feel. Hopefully this can help them not make just an impulse of, hey, let me go. Change this feeling.
0: It's such a tough thing to get tuned into. So I had a therapist for a long time, and I'd go in there and I'd be belly aching about, you know, some particular thing, and without fail, she would say, "Well, what happened the last week?" She talks just like that. What happened the, you know, uh, a week ago, two weeks ago? And I thought, who gives a shit? What did you not hear? What I just said about how my life was miserable yesterday? Why are we talking about a week ago? And now I see why she asked me those things and I I call it my background computer, it's my background computer theory of, or hypothesis of, you know, know, the way you think. And, you know, you are engaged in something and you didn't even realize it turned on this program that's running in the background that's eating up some of your process and speed and abilities. And, you know, a week later, like a computer virus, it's going to wreak havoc in your life.
1: And that's why you got to run a, virus scan. You got to have virus protection. Yeah.
4: Well, I kind of think of like, um, you know, if you have a ball at the top of a hill and you know, recovery's right there. And I always say, you're never standing still. You're either moving towards recovery or you're moving away from it. We can never just stay in that place. Right. And so, you know, if I think about the two weeks prior that she's asking you, you know, something comes up and my ball starts to roll. And I may not notice it. And then something else happens and it's like it keeps going. And there's all these different places that I might be able to ask for help, have somebody else, you know, intervene. But by the time it gets down right before relapse, it's too late. The only way typically is somebody else intervenes on you. Right. Because you're going to use. But it's like you have all these different places before it's a, the ball's downhill.
0: Right. And it's just so hard to, to be in tune with your own limitations and the things that that set you off and
4: Well, that's the point of living in community and consultation. You know, when you've got people around you that can see the back side of you, that unknown piece that we're blind to. I mean, because think about how often it is somebody says, What's going on with you? You know.
3: Well, like- and we're so good at compartmentalizing. You know, as humans, we do that, right? And so we we all think, or we're li- apt to think, my drug problem or my alcohol problem is this. And it's not connected and related to what's going on in my life. It doesn't have to do with the carpool line being too slow, or it doesn't have to do with the boss who's mean. It doesn't have to do with those things. And, you know, that ball starts rolling, typically not from a craving particularly, or something focused on the addiction, but... I use a term a lot in one of the groups I work with, I say seemingly inconsequential decisions where I think it'll be okay to stay up a little later tonight, even though I've got to wake up early for work, or it'll be a little bit, it'll be okay to put off that bill for now, or, you know, different things that have to do with my being that later place me in that position that you're like, your therapist is asking, what was the setup? What's the context? I'm not going to feel right if I keep blowing off my creditors. I'm not going to feel right if I continue to have these other things in my life. And next thing you know, I go back to my tried and true solution The solution. evil I know,
1: yeah, you know. And we go back to it because it's effective. I mean, it,
5: it, it works. Yeah, we feel like
1: it does. right.
5: I think to Kosta's point of just the power of being able for people to mirror back, like, what's you know what what's really going on with you that you might not be able to see. It's hard to see our own ears. So whenever we have people that know us that can say, hey, you're doing that thing. We're right. like, oh, okay, hold on. Let, it's let me, hard let me do to
0: see like our own ears. I love that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: really, really
0: it is.
5: <laughs> can you see them? I can. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny to ask people
3: that and make
5: them watch them. <laughs> try it, try it. Because
3: everybody will try it just for a second. Maybe my ears. I did. Maybe I can be the guy who sees his ears.
5: <laughs> you're the you're the unique exception. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right, so I, there's we're we're running we're, I mean we have time enough, but I don't want to take too much of you guys time, but I, I do want to there's something that I've absolutely must mention and um, I've had this talk hopefully with Bernard, but never in a public forum like this. but um, Bernard, I don't, y'all probably don't know this, but um, Bernard was there for me at my darkest moment. Um, I had just gotten out of jail. Um, I had no prospects, nowhere to go. Um, and I reached out to him, and he said, yeah, come on, come on, come on. And he let me stay at his house for two weeks while I got back on my feet. <clears throat> never asked me for a penny, treated me like one of the family. And Bernard, you are one of the reasons that I'm still sober today. It's because I saw the compassion and love that, uh, apart from my parents, I had never experienced in the real world. Um, and how you and your wife and your kids treated me in those two weeks was instrumental in me formulating my plan for the future and how I want to treat other people. So, um, my, my level of gratitude for you and you just living your life and being authentic to who you are, um, it's tremendous. It's tremendous. So I'm very, very grateful to you for that and to your wife and everyone in your family. You all were just, um, you made me feel at home and that was the darkest time of my life. And you guys brought me a little bit of little bit of light. So I'm grateful to you for that. So um, that said, what I would like to talk a little bit uh, for someone who is maybe sober curious or struggling with um, so sober curious, sober curious, or or um, you know, struggling with trauma or something that's like. Fun. Y'all never heard yeah. that? No, I can't no. take. Cred- I, can- I wish I could take credit for that. I really, really do, but that's that's something I've heard a lot. I tried
0: in college <laughs> that one
1: time. So yeah, so I wish I could take credit. I really, really do, but I cannot. That's a TikTok thing, and you know, whatever. I spend way too much on TikTok, but another another conversation um so for someone who is sober curious or um has some issues uh regarding trauma what can and and that also has never experienced any sort of treatment in their life that that person that you were speaking to that has never had any sort of treatment doesn't know what this is all about has never been to therapy um they've they've uh got to the point in their lives where they know something else. Something has to change, right? They, they cannot go on living this way, and perhaps if they continue on this path that they're on now, the, the likelihood of their life ending, whether it be unaliving themselves or something traumatic happened, is very, very real, right? So they have they have gotten to the point where they know that something is going to have to change, and they've either heard about bridge to recovery or, or uh, somebody has mentioned it to them as a, as a good option for some outpatient um, treatment. So – as an alcoholic and addict, and specifically in early sobriety, I was very effective in turning a, a mountain into a molehill, right? We all know this, right? We can, we can turn something that's small and going to be really, really helpful to us into a fear-inducing thing that becomes such a huge thing that it could keep us from actually moving forward with our original plans to go and get help. So speaking specifically to that person, what can you tell them? to expect when they come to the doors of bridge to recovery bring that down a little bit explain to them what they are about to experience what can they what what they can expect Uh, And and kind of help ease that person's anxiety a little bit about what they're about to do. They're not about to, their life is not about to blow up. Their life, you know, is about to become very, very beautiful and rewarding should they decide to stay sober. So, what do you tell to that person that is um, struggling with what's about to come by giving you guys a call and starting with their treatment? How do you ease that anxiety to that person? And this question is for anyone.
2: Well, you know, I'll, I'll put my two cents in. I think that it's important to help them that, look, we need to focus on one step at a time, you know, is let's, let's deal with what's in front of us.
1: Yeah. And this person's their life is falling in every aspect of their life is crumbling as they speak. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Just trying to help them become hopeful or at least embrace the idea that maybe hope is before me once I take some action. Sure. Um, So many times when I'm in the middle of fear, it's not necessarily what I'm dealing with in front of me. It's what I'm imagining the future is going to be like. Right. And what we know is is that people who have addiction, um, especially those that have used for an awfully long time, and those that started in their adolescence, you know, there's a biological component to that. Mm-hmm. You know, their brain just isn't firing right, uh, and so going back to the old software analogy and it needs a a patch, if you will. Um, So helping people understand that a lot of what you're experiencing, number one, is normal for your condition. Number two, other people have been able to overcome it and that's available to you.
4: Y'all hear my stomach growling over here. Um, You know, it's one of those... You know, when, when somebody's on the phone, it's having you come in and we're just going to talk and I'm going to ask you some questions. Um, you know, when I think about just walking in the door, usually my dog, Allie, she's a lab is walking around. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many peanut butter and jelly sandwiches I've made for people, <laughs> you know, um, it's a very warm, you said Ridgeland, we actually moved to Jackson,
1: Jackson. Okay. I no, am no, no.
4: so That's, sorry. No, don't be sorry. Um, you know,
0: did you find that peanut butter and jelly was like particularly calming to people or look, it is to me. I I, love a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I
4: I eat so many peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And so, you know, it's when's the last time you've eaten? Think about how poor self-care. I mean, you know, people that their life is blowing up. The idea of taking care of themselves is like way back there. You know, when's the last time you had something to eat? Would you like a cup of water? Would you like some coffee? Um,
1: The fundamental basics.
4: The basics. You know, I mean, it really is, I mean, what we give to each other, I think about it's important to give it to whoever walks in our door. Um, So there's a real warmth to it, but it's, I mean, of course, they don't know that. They're scared to death. It's like, how am I actually going to talk to this person? And so in talking to them, you know this is completely confidential um you know they may have a loved one sitting in the lobby and it's if you open a consent i can share with them if not i can't confirm or deny anything you know unless you, you know, you're going to hurt yourself or somebody else or some type of child abuse sexual abuse something like that um so it's it's to take away the unknown you know this is what it's going to look like um, before they come in, we send them, it's all electronic, and we'll send them some, you know, stuff to complete and pretty basic, you know, are you on medication? Have you had counseling before, et cetera, et cetera? So at least they get kind of an idea. And when we start off, we're not going to go into like the hardest questions, right? The way that our, our biopsychosocial or our assessment, you know, I mean, we start slowly. You got to step into the water.
0: He's into it. Yeah,
4: you can't just, you know, throw somebody off the
5: deep end.
2: Right. Can Can I share?
5: Yeah. So kind of adding to that piece, I think the other part is that they walk through the doors and we just let them know what their options are, what we feel like would be best to help them. And they get the choice of what they want to do with it. It is not a forced process. It is not anything that we're going to make them do. It is hey, you came through here. We got you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. We got you some water. You get a love on this really sweet dog. You get to sit on a comfy couch. And if you want a blanket, we'll get you a blanket and answer these questions. And here's kind of what we think would best help you. And here's where we think could best do that for you. If you want our help, we're happy to do it. If you want to not take it or look into your other stuff, like that's okay too. So there's so much like choice in it too. It's not, any forced thing
1: right
3: well we y'all mentioned the phrase before we've talked before about we meet people where they are you know and some are more receptive to hearing more than let i mean you know just all depends but we try to help them where they are at the start certainly and i want to put in a plug for our support staff as well and the front end staff because like costas mentioned bringing them into the uh, meetings where we talk about things and sort of process it all they are so good at in that first face for clients, they're mm-hmm. really helpful. They're really—it's nice. incredibly they're, important. Yeah, it is exactly because before they even get back to us, they're able to see someone who is happy and and helpful and willing to and wanting to
1: and non non judgmental of yeah, the fact right. that your life may very well be. And I think they feel like really hard right now. Feel
3: that. I, I can't speak for clients, but I think they feel that.
5: Mm-hmm. I've had a lot of people talk about how wonderful the front staff is and just how caring and helpful. And like, I've heard nothing but great things about them. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Lucky for that. That That's beautiful. It's beautiful. Well guys, we have, I feel like I feel very positive about this and I'm super positive about, or super grateful for, again, um, all of you giving of your time today to come and talk with us. I think that, um, Hopefully someone, someone out there has been helped or heard something that they need to hear. And ultimately that's the main goal of the recovery lab podcast. So thank you for helping us to, um, help other people by you joining us, Bernard, Do you want to say, anything? yeah, it's always great to be here. Thanks for the invite. And I just want
2: to mention that you guys, uh, you guys are amazing. I mean, the platform that you're, you know, exposing people to is just wonderful it's, it's overdue. It's been needed. Um, and so, you know, you have our utmost support. Well, thank you. And we uh, appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely.
1: All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, we're out. We're, we're done. out. Thank you Y'all so were much. Great Thank you. Thanks so Absolutely. much. Absolutely, that was painless, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm not painless. too bad. Not too bad. All right, guys. We will. Go, uh, we won't see you next week. I'm going to be in Louisiana on the set of Swamp People, so I will not be here this next week. But uh, cool. uh, we will see you the following week. Thank you so much, and you guys and gals and everything in between have a wonderful day. Thank you so much.